Nehemiah 13, 30-31 says that, So I purified them of everything foreign, and I assigned specific duties to the priests and the Levites, and I also provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and also for the first fruits. So please, please, please remember me for my good, oh my God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this time, that, Lord, you've given us this moment, Lord, to come together, Lord, to recognize that we're not walking alone, that, God, we're not walking out uh, on, on a path, on a mission to glorify our names, as Sarah prayed, Lord, but instead we are in this uh, for your glory, for your sake, and that, God, you don't abandon us to that mission, that we would figure it out on our own. Lord, you've promised to equip us, Lord, to provide for us, Lord, to use us, So thank you for that guarantee. Thank you for that promise. Lord, I pray that we would remember that today. God, we would remember that no matter where we're walking to, God, no matter where we're headed, this week, next week, summer, next semester, post-graduation, God, no matter where we're headed, God, that you've already paved a way before us. That, God, you already have a path laid out. Lord, let us trust that. We pray all of that in your will. Amen. Man, well, good morning. Uh, this is one of our final weeks together. Uh, I, I'm really glad to be here. It's sort of bittersweet. Uh, I'm excited that we're wrapping up Nehemiah. I'm excited uh, that we get to come together, not just this week, but next week as well. But next Sunday is, in fact, our final Sunday of the semester, uh, because after that, you guys will have finals or, or a, f- a few more finals, uh, and you'll be gone. You'll be dispersing to the far corners of the earth. Uh, we will still be here this summer, and we'll, we'll tell you more about kind of what that looks like, what our schedule looks like, what our offerings are in the summer, Uh, but we'll get to that at the end of the service. Uh, Before we get there, I just need us all to be on the same page and witness this adorable, adorable thing. It's so good. edited. I don't know what's going on. That is just, man, that's us, right? We are here today gathered as a collection of paper and rock and scissors, people who have different needs and different abilities. Uh, We can destroy other items with differing levels of effectiveness, uh, and we need each other, right? When we we see things like that, we we resonate with this idea that, that we need Friends, we need to be walking alongside of people. We thrive. We're, we're at our best when we're walking alongside of other people in community. And we want a community that, that can provide support, that provides encouragement, that provides accountability, that provides counsel when we need it. I mean, that's what we're designed 
to, to have. And, and thankfully, many of us have found that, right? College, we've talked about the last few weeks, is an incredible opportunity to find that community, to build that community. And, and we've been discussing for the last four weeks how Nehemiah has modeled this life, how he put forth these examples that we could follow uh, of seeing needs in our midst, of building community in it. How, how God can use our prayers and our plans. He can use our diversity. He can use our abilities to bring people together. Paper, rocks, and scissors. We can all be united under the banner of knowing Jesus Christ. We have this opportunity, and yet the truth is, is that we are all moving into environments where that's not the case. We're all moving into environments where we don't necessarily have easy access to community. Right? Some of us are graduating, perhaps. And we're going to the, you know, work in the far, the great northern lands of Dallas, and, and we're going away. Some of us, though, maybe we're just, maybe we're just walking into summer. And, and we're not graduating, but we have to go on that internship, or we're going back home, or we're going to that place. We're, we're moving into this environment where there's not a lot of support. When we had 24-7 prayer a few weeks ago, what, what we saw time and again was the requests that we had gathered from you was oftentimes, many, many times, many, many requests of people afraid and anxious about walking into an environment where they didn't have support, where they didn't have no believers, where they didn't have a church, they didn't have some sort of community of like-minded men and women who are following Christ. And we don't know what that looks like. We are all going to get there, whether it's this summer, whether it's next fall, or whether it's when we graduate. We're going to get to that point, environments where we have to either seek out or set up a new community. So I think the question that we need to ask, the question that we need to answer, is what qualities should we look for in a healthy community? What does a healthy community look like? What causes a community to thrive? This is the final week that we're in the book of Nehemiah, the final week that we get to see the life of Nehemiah, a person who is aligned with God's heart, who followed God's plan, who formed God's people into a community that would change their culture. Nehemiah has been an incredible example of someone who saw the brokenness in his world, and he chose to build in the midst of that rubble. We've seen how the Lord can use us, how he can use our prayers, our plans. Last week, we saw Nehemiah, uh, how he reacted to opposition, realizing that, you know, this world is going to be aligned against us. If we follow Jesus Christ, he has promised us that we will be persecuted and hated. And, and yet we saw in Nehemiah this ability to continually trust God with both his attitudes and his actions. And this morning, today, as we wrap this all up, what we're looking at is this community that Nehemiah created. In other words, after he gathered all the people, what did he do with them? What did it look like? Because we can gather all we want, but unless we know what to do with them once they're together, it's going to quickly disperse. And the reality is that communities, it's pretty simple, are simply collections of individuals. Right? And so when we look in Scripture, what we see is we are most fulfilled, our, our greatest calling, our, our greatest innermost desire is to love God and love people. That's what Jesus Christ summed up all the law, all the commandments, all the prophets. He says, this is it. You love the Lord your God, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You love God, you love people. That's true for us individually, and it's true for us as communities as well. We need to be looking for or setting up communities that love God and love people. And to accomplish that purpose, to bring that about in his community, Nehemiah set it up with four key elements. 
four key elements that we'll see as we close out the book of Nehemiah. Starting in chapter, I want to say seven, yes. Chapter seven, verse one. We see that when the wall had been rebuilt and I had positioned the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I then put in charge over Jerusalem my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the chief of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many do. Nehemiah says, look, we get the wall built, right? It was, and this was an incredible feat. Very, very quickly, they, they construct this wall that had been down for, for years and decades. Yet he comes in, he has this plan, he has this purpose, he's been praying about it. He faces opposition, but he perseveres. And this group of people that he rallies around himself, they build this wall. This is a wonderful moment. And yet Nehemiah recognized, you know what, that's not the end of this story. Even though the wall has been built, what we need is continued structure. He made sure that even once that wall is in place, that the community itself would have structure. It wouldn't just be a wall that's built, but there would be organization, that there would be reliability, there would be consistency in this community. Because a community that truly loves people will always involve structure. Because people want and need consistency. They need something to be reliable. When my wife and I got married, we were kind of on the front, we were the tip of the spear of our friend group in terms of getting married. We were one of the first couples and our friends to get married. And so because of that, after we were married, uh, I had a lot of friends that were asking me about marriage. And they would ask me, about, like, oh, like, How's it going? What's going on? And, and one of the questions that they love to ask, they'd be like, well, okay, so like, what's, what's just like the best part? Like, what's the best part? So I don't know why I'm making them sound like idiots. They, they're very, very nice people. They were like, hey, Jacob, I'm a normal friend of yours. What's the best part? What's the best part of marriage? I don't know. Sorry, I don't know why that's my default. And I would tell them, I would tell them, my response was always sleep, sleep. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, like biblical sleep, right? Like, they're like, oh, like, you know each other. I mean, no. I was like, literally, I'm like actually sleeping like seven, eight hours a night, and it's the greatest thing in my life right now. Like, this has changed everything for me. Because up until that moment, my life was very inconsistent. I did not have a lot of structure. As a single dude, uh, I mean, we just, we would hang out, we would do these different things, we'd go on these trips, and we'd have all this stuff. I was going in a million different directions, and I'd be like, no, tonight I'm going to go to bed a reasonable hour. I'm going to go to bed by like 11 or whatever. And then it's like 3 a.m., and I'm like, oh, wow, that is what seahorses look like. That's crazy. You know, like I would just find that moment, and it would, it would disappear. But when I got married, I finally had this structure. I had this like reliable, consistent time when we would actually go to bed. And it was amazing. And, and the most adventurous spirits among us, man, the most adventurous people in this room, I promise you, have a deep need for consistency in life on some level. On some level, you want to know, hey, I'm going to eat again, right? Or I'm going to sleep at some point. Like maybe it's in two weeks from now after finals, but that's, you know, we'll get there. Like you need some sort of consistency in your life. And if you look at a community, if you look at a group of people who just kind of, it's based around like, oh, we should hang out sometime. Or if you know these people that say, oh, we should just like get together at some point. That's not reliable. And that's not loving. So if you want a community that really loves people, you want them to be consistent. You need to set up a time and a place to get together. You need to be intentional. Plan ahead. Initiate those moments. Initiate that conversation. Get on calendars. Get serious about coming together because that's how you love people well because people want organization, right? People want it in every aspect of life. You want it in school, right? You want your class to have a syllabus. The professor's just like, oh, we're going to talk about history. You're like, oh my gosh, no. Like, <laughs> I don't need that. Like, you want to know there is a set 
pattern. I need to know which days I cannot be here and then which days I need to absolutely show up because there's a test. I need to know that there's a structure to this class. You want a job description when you go to work. You want to show up for your internship. You want to show up for your first major job. And you want there to be a description, an expectation for what you need to do. You don't want to show up in the office and be like, oh, go ahead and just like engineer things. Like that's, oh, I don't, you, I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. Like you need some sort of organization to that. You, you want it in your relationships. When you show up for a date, first date, second date, early date with someone, right? You want there to be some sort of plan. You want to show up and be like, okay, we're going to go to this restaurant. We're going to do this thing. You don't want the guy to just roll up and be like, all right. You want to just like, I don't know, like watch Parks and Rec or something? Like, I don't know. Well, some of us are probably like, yes, that's, that is it. That's the date. Never mind. But for most of us, we want there to be some sort of level of organization. We want there to be a structure, And this is put in us by the Lord. That's why 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is one of structure, one of order. After talking about different gifts and talking about how the Lord can use us in the community as a church, he says, you know what? The defining characteristic of all of this, whether your gift is is preaching or teaching or hospitality or tongues or or prophecy, whatever it is, says no matter what your gifting is, you know what the overriding, overarching thematic idea is? What should personify, what should describe your group is organized. That's what the Lord has given us through the Holy Spirit. Not just all these gifts, but he's given us a structure because God knows that's where we thrive. Where we have a community that's consistent, where it's reliable, that's organized. So wherever you're headed, graduation, fall, summer, wherever you're going, you need to find this. Find a church. I mean, it's simple advice, and we hear, we're like, oh, yeah, for sure. And yet, it's so often skipped. I've seen it in my life, in my friends' lives. In this stage you're moving into, it's so easy to just hop around, to be like, well, no, I'm going to go out of town this weekend. But find a church wherever you had, even if it's just for the summer, find a church, a group of people who've gathered together with consistency. There need to be elements within that church that we'll talk about in a minute, but you need to find that church, or, or maybe on a smaller level. You're like, okay, well, I know this church I'm going to go to, but I don't really have close friends. I don't have a a community where I'm known. In in which case, find a small group in that church. Try to go to a home group. I know it's only going to be for like three months, but that's okay. I promise you that if it's a a good, healthy church, they'll love to have you just for three months. Find that group. And if that doesn't exist, initiate something with people where you're headed or maybe some friends that you know are going to be in the area. Maybe friends that maybe you'll be a long distance, but you know what? With technology these days, you can still commune. You can have moments together and even see each other's faces talk. Initiate something. Set a time. Set a place. Have some sort of consistency and reliability in your life, in that community. That's what you need. This community needs to have some sort of structure. What we also see is this community needs to be based around Scripture. It needs to come together to understand Scripture. So we see in chapter 8, verse 8. Where Nehemiah has these people set up, he's got the structure, they all come together, and they read from the book of God's law, explaining it, imparting insight. Thus the people gained understanding from what was read. The community came together to understand Scripture. This is huge. And there's two really big elements of understanding Scripture, right? When we see understanding here, it's not just knowledge. That's a, that's a large part of it. That's, that's half of it is that it would be explained, right? If you want to look at a community, a healthy community that's really understanding Scripture, it's going to be not only explained, but it's also going to be experienced, right? It needs to be explained. Uh, My wife, Susan, 
when we first came here, or we were, our freshman year of college, uh, she was kind of determining what church to go to, kind of bounced around a little bit, and she went with a friend to just this Bible study. This Bible study was just like at some couple's house or something. I think now they have a home church or something. I don't know. But he, she went to this with this friend to this Bible study. Didn't really know what was up, but it was like, oh, I know this girl. Like, this will be fun. Show up, and, and the like husband of this couple was leading the Bible study, and he led off. He's like, hey, we're going to be we're going to be reading the book of Romans. We're going to be studying Romans. She's like, okay, cool. That's like a solid book. That's pretty intense. All right. And he says, and he started off with this. I, I quote. So, well, when the Romans wrote Romans, they, blah, 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 which is wrong. Okay. Like if you haven't looked into the, you know, authorship of Romans, which is fine, uh, you will quickly, quickly find that it is not written by a group of people called the Romans. It's written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he did some stuff in the church. Uh, you should look up Wikipedia. And we, he wrote this book, and it's very, very clear. It is a, it is, it, that is one of our most absolutely certain authorships. And, and yet, Susan was in this study where this guy didn't know that and was explaining, he was saying it's something wrong. And so, you know, honestly, she never went back to that Bible study. He said, when the Romans were Romans, and she was like, mm, no. Okay, like, see, like, like, that was it. That was it. Because you need to find a community where Scripture is explained, where Scripture is studied, valued, right, to varying degrees. It's not like y'all have to sit down and open up your accordances and your Bible software and be like, okay, learn Greek. Like, you don't need to do that. That's fine. But there needs to be some level of seeking understanding, of explaining Scripture. That's why we start off nine times out of ten of these mornings reading Scripture, it's the goal of that it would be in front of you. We try to, I purposefully try to choose passages that are somewhat out of context, not just to give you an idea of what's ahead that we're going to be discussing this morning, but also to illustrate why studying Scripture is so important. Many times we read a passage, maybe you felt it today, where we read it and we're like, okay, right? And that's good. I want that. Because when we get to it, when we actually open it up, when we begin to explain it, I want that to illustrate. I want that to be an experience where you say, oh, okay, yeah, studying Scripture is valuable. You need to find a community where that happens, where you're using your minds to engage with God's Word. Jonathan Edwards, uh, author, uh, preacher, very uh, instrumental in the First Great Awakening here in, here in America, 1730, 1740s, uh, wrote lots of stuff. But one of those wonderful things, one of my favorite things he ever wrote is this quote where he talks about this idea of using our minds to understand Scripture. He says that all truth is given by revelation, either general or specific or special, and it must be received by reason. He says reason is the God-given means for discovering the truth that God discloses, whether in his world or in his word. While God, does, while God wants to reach the heart with truth, He does not bypass the mind. This is huge. This is something that we often fail to kind of reflect on. The incredible gift that God has given us, meaning that his revelation to us, his leading of us, the the words he's given us, the knowledge that he's imparted, it's reasonable. It it works out, right? There's this idea of, of faith, absolutely, where you trust things, where you have to place your faith in the Lord and in his promises, trust that he is good is kind of one of the most foundational faith things you, you have in Christianity, that God is good, and that's, that's difficult. We talked about that last week. Some people don't get there. Some people see that gap, and they just they can't bridge it. But the reality is that that faith is always 
reasonable. That there is reasonable evidence. There's things that we've seen or experienced or heard or read where it's reasonable to believe that God is good. It's reasonable to believe that the Bible is inspired word. If you've never looked up textual criticism, you've never looked up the, the, the scholarship behind our scriptures, it's amazing. It's a book like no other, literally. It's reasonable to believe the things that we believe because God wants that to be a part of our interaction with him. He wants reason to take place. He wants to use our minds, not just this emotional thing that makes no sense. So you want to be in a community that explains Scripture, that engages with Scripture on a, uh, on a knowledgeable level. But you also, in that understanding, it can't just stop there. It can't just stop with scholarship. If you've all got your noses just buried in the ancient Greek texts, man, that's not going to help you out. That's not going to take you where the Lord wants you to be. You need to be explaining it, but you also need to be experiencing Scripture. We see this in Nehemiah's community, where the Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the Levites who are imparting understanding to the people, said to all of the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. Why would they say that? Oh, because all the people had been weeping when they heard the words of the law. The people started to hear the law, and they realized, oh, I don't do that or that or that or that or, oh, God, and they just fall apart. They were weeping and mourning because they realized that the Lord's standard was so far above anything they could ever hope to reach. But Nehemiah looks at his people. He says, no, the fact that you're grasping this, the fact that you see this is good. The fact that you understand how holy the Lord truly is, is good. You're experiencing Scripture in the way it's meant to be experienced. And so he sends off all the people and all the people departed to eat and drink and to share their food with others to enjoy tremendous joy for they had gained insight in the matters that had been made known to them. They understood that God, not only is he holy, but they understood that he is loving. Not only is he just, but also he's the justifier. They understood that God had put into place a system for them in that day where they might, by faith, through grace, have relationship with him. They did not yet understand the implications of Jesus Christ. They didn't know how that was going to work. They didn't know what was coming. But through the sacrificial system, the Lord saved them by faith. It was always by faith. We see that in the book of Hebrews. We see that in the New Testament, that they were never saved by the actual sacrifice, that that was merely an outward display of an inward decision to trust the Lord. It was always by faith that salvation was obtained. And they understood that. They rejoiced. Tremendous joy. Why? Because they understood, because they had insight. They felt the impact of Scripture on their own lives. You need to find a community that does this, that seeks to experience Scripture, to find a place, a community where they're not just speaking, but where they're preaching. Meaning the goal of speaking is content, but the goal of preaching is life change. That's why you see in the life of Jesus Christ, when he's preaching to crowds, to people, I mean, he often uses parables. He uses stories that, that didn't necessarily happen, but could happen. In other words, he uses cultural examples. He uses illustrations, sometimes ridiculously hilarious illustrations. Matthew 7, he's talking to me, he's like, and they're worried about being legalistic and like denouncing their brothers and judging and getting on to these other people. He's like, hey, you know what? Maybe you see that speck in their eye, but worry about that plank in yours, right? And he uses this extreme language. Probably got a few chuckles because you're like, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. But it drove the point home. It helped them understand. Like I was like, hey, don't worry about your roommate leaving that bowl in the sink when you have 30,000 mugs in your room. 
Oh, that was weird. But you, you, you get it. <laughs> You'd be like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, that's, that doesn't make sense. But it brings it home. He used grounded, relevant cultural examples to make sure these people were impacted by what was being read, by what was being explained. That life change would happen. That's why we watch videos at the beginning. That's why we have things like stories, or I talk to you about my wife, or I talk to you about this thing, or my baby, Charlotte. Like, I talk to you about these different things because I want to show you that these truths are grounded in where you live. I don't want to just talk to you about the Bible. That's not my goal. I want to talk to you about you from the Bible. That's my purpose. That's my calling. That's what Grace Bible Church, with the elder board, that's what I've been commissioned to do, to talk to you about you from Scripture. So we use things like strange commercials for phones because it helps. You lower your walls. You begin to understand, oh, okay, yeah, this is the world that I live in. This is a thing that I don't just understand, meaning it's been explained to me, but it's something that I understand and that I see how it impacts my life. I see that there's not just truth, but there's also spirit. It is the way it's described in New Testament literature. When we look in John 1, or we look all throughout the Gospel of John, when he's talking about Jesus Christ, what's so uh, interesting is he uh, talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth. And when Jesus Christ uh, was out in ministry in John 4, he talks to a Samaritan woman at a well and he says, look, and in using his grace and truth, which we'll talk about in a minute, he, he says, when people really worship, he says, true worship is this, that people would come to the Lord in both spirit and truth, meaning that they are understanding, they're knowledgeable of what the Lord has said, of what he's commanded, but that they are experiencing it in their hearts, in their lives. The change would be happening. The spirit would be at work in that. You want to find a place that has both, a church that has both. Some lean more one way or the other. It happens. It's okay. At Grace Bible Church, we lean more towards Bible exposition. We lean more towards the truth, the knowledge, the academic side, because we're in a college town. It's, just, it's what happens. And that's okay. We know that. We're aware We try to correct. We try to find that happy middle ground. Wherever you go, you want to find that good, sweet spot in the middle. Who is bringing both grace, or who is bringing, sorry, both spirit and truth? Who's not only understanding the word, understanding scripture with their heads, but they're feeling it in their hearts. And and maybe you have that in a church. You need to find that in a small group, in a community of people. Again, it can be people from here, people where you're going, whatever. Either look for it, sign up for it, or, or set it up initiate. Have a group of friends where you say, hey, look, let's just read this book together. Maybe it's a devotional book. Maybe it's just a book about spiritual matters. Let's read this book together. All of our leadership uh, that's here at Grace within our college ministry, we're going to be reading uh, Multiplication in the Real World. I think it's Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World. Oh, man, I'm butchering the title. It's, there's a, what is it, Marty? Yell it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> we're reading a book called Master Plan of Evangelism. Very different title. Uh, Similar book, thematically, but uh, Match Plan of Vision. We're reading this book together. It could be that simple. Just a book that you choose to read with your friends, that you, you commit yourselves, again, to consistently go to, to understand it, to maybe have uh, maybe a Bible reading plan. There's a million. You can find them online. They're super easy. You can have it on your phone to, like, remind you every morning to read something, to read through the Psalms, or read through this, or read through that, or whatever it is. And then talk about it together. 
Don't let it just be knowledge that you kind of gain on your own. That you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. I'll make a note. But then talk about it. Engage with each other. Realize that one of you is paper, one of you is a rock, one of you is scissors. And you need to use your different perspectives. You need to take advantage of that diversity in your community. So initiate, find that. Your community needs to, be, or needs to have involved structure. It should involve scripture. And what we see in Nehemiah 9 is that this community also involves confession. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites assembled, and they were fasting and wearing sackcloth, and their heads were covered with dust. And those truly of Israelite descent, they separated from all the foreigners, standing and confessing their sins and the iniquities of their ancestors. The community came together for the purpose of confessing their sins. Why? Because a community that loves people, it doesn't just have structure. It also involves confession and accountability. A community that loves people knows who those people are. People are looking for a place where they can be fully known and fully loved. That's that's one of our deepest desires, that I would be fully known and fully loved. That's what makes our gospel so radical, that Jesus Christ would die for us while we were still sinners. That we were still children of wrath, while we were still in open rebellion against God. While we were still in the midst of our transgressions, Christ died for us. That God saw us and knew us, knew the incredibly depraved errors and mistakes and faults and failures that we would be committing, not just in our past, but in our futures at, at all points. He knew how broken we are to our fullest. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet he still loves us so intensely die for us. Lay down his life. The greatest sign of love there ever was. He would lay down his own life for our sake so that any of us might place our faith in Jesus Christ and we would have eternal life. We would be united with him not only in his burial but also in his resurrection. Knowing that we have a life beyond this world. People want to be fully known and fully loved. I mean, sometimes that's hard because sometimes we're really weird people. Sometimes there's parts of us that are like, I don't know. And yet what's incredible is that there really is a place for us. There is a place for you. We see this in some of the strangest couples. We see people (laughs) slip love notes under doors. And I'm hoping a bathroom that says that he wants you to stop pooping because I miss you. That's beautiful. That's someone who is fully known and yet fully loved. It happens, man. It, it's out there. We, we see love letters, these, these encouraging notes, like how you grew on me the way that Yersinia intercolectica grows on spoiled bacon. That's beautiful. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Maybe I should have looked it up to make sure it wasn't inappropriate, but I think, I think it's just like a disease, maybe. What is it? That's a bacteria. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry. Hey, maybe now you remember it on your final, all you biologists. So, uh, yeah, that's a thing. But this happens, man. There, there, is lo- there is a place where you can be, where you can be fully known fully loved. I promise it's out there. It exists. Maybe you have that now. I pray you do. And that's what you need to look for, a community where you can be fully known and fully loved because that's how a community truly loves people. To bring that about, we need to be like Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, John 1, all throughout the Gospel of John, he describes Jesus Christ as one who is full of grace and truth. Both elements are needed. Grace is crucial, meaning that you love this person no matter what. 
The, the grace by itself, it's forgiving, right? It's, it's affirming. But if you had only grace, right, if that's the only thing going on in that residence, that was the only thing in that community, you know, honestly, grace by itself, it can also be misguided. It, it can be cowardly. It, it accepts you for who you are, but it provides no vision for who you could be. Grace is good. But Jesus Christ himself was not just a one-trick grace pony. He carried with him not only grace, he carried with him truth. Meaning that he spoke truth into people's lives. He knew where they were at. He forgave them, but he still told them, look, things need to change. Right? But some of us, maybe that's, that's where we alien. Maybe we're not just like full-on grace people. Some of us, we lean a little bit more towards that truth side. Right? Which, again, there are, there are benefits. Truth by itself, it, it's, it's admirable. It can be convicting, but it can also be impersonal. It can be intimidating. It can be harsh. It shows maybe who we should be, but it provides no encouragement to change. And we all need to kind of gut check, maybe, before we walk into this new environment. Just kind of understand, okay, well, where, where am I on that? As I am seeking to interact with new people, as I am maybe building a new community or, or a new, uh, new interaction of, of people, as I'm gathering people together where I'm headed, wherever I'm headed, do I lean more towards one or the other? Am I more on grace? And so people really like me, but it never really goes beyond that. There's really no impact felt from that relationship. Or am I all truth? I'm just kind of like a jerk head. I don't know. Well, you can't handle the truth sometimes, I guess, is what shouted sometimes at me. <laughs> we need to understand that, you know, we need both of these. Jesus Christ himself was identified by both of these things. This is what we see in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh, took up residence among us, and that we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. It came from the Father. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, who began his ministry in a really cool way. If you've read the Gospels, you'll know Jesus, or uh, read the Scripture, Old Testament, Exodus, you'll see that Moses kind of began his ministry by turning water into blood, right? That was kind of his first public miracle. But the Nile became blood, that all this water in Egypt became blood. It was the first of the ten plagues that God sent against Egypt through the hand of Moses. And Moses set up something that we now call the Mosaic Law. God gave Moses these, these commandments, these, this law to follow, these rights and wrongs, these blessings and curses. And it was, it was kind of the way that the nation of Israel operated for years and years and years and years. And I'll tell you, even within that law, there was an element of grace. Again, people were always saved by faith. It wasn't the acts, it wasn't the work that they did. It was always the faith behind it. So there was grace in there. But the predominant characteristic was a little bit more on law. But Jesus Christ, his first public miracle, you know what it was chronologically? He turned water into wine. How fun is that? Right? <laughs> we're like, yeah, okay, I'll go to that miracle. That'd be fun. Water into wine. Why? Because it's illustrating that God is offering up a new way to interact with them. What we see in Galatians is that Jesus Christ, it's not that he abolished the law because the law was bad. Again, the Lord keeps elements of law in our current age, in, in our age of, of, that's predominantly grace, right? Even though we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? there's still a calling, there's still a charge, there's still a command for our life. God still wants us to walk in a way that glorifies him. Right? There's still some law in there, but the predominant characteristic is one of grace. And Jesus kicked things off by saying, like, look, this water's going to be wine. 
And it's going to be fun. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be different. And we need to make sure that we are people that are walking in grace and in truth. Find a church, wherever you're headed, that has both. That definitely relies, that, that preaches the grace of God. But one that also is unafraid to preach the truth. To call people out. To seek life change. And find that in your community. Check yourself. Where do I land? What do I need around me? Because if I'm really far one way, maybe I need to find a friend who, who kind of goes to the other side of the street. And maybe we can balance each other out. This community, it had structure. It involved scripture. It involved this idea of, of confession, of knowing each other and yet still loving each other. What we see it also was known, it involved a compassion for people outside of that community itself. What we see is that Nehemiah, at the very end of his book, sets up this example. For, he sets up an example for his community of a life that's poured out in compassion for other people. He says, I purified them of everything foreign. I assigned specific duties to the priests and the Levites. I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and also for the first fruits. Final line, the book of Nehemiah. Please remember me for good, oh my God. Meaning, please remember me for what I've done for your sake. Please, God, remember that I've sought to do your work, to live out your purpose in this world. Nehemiah shows us a person who poured his life out in compassion for other people. Because a community that loves God and loves people, it involves compassion. I think we see this a lot of times with kind of two different focuses. And this, this is where we're wrapping up. We see two different kind of focuses within a healthy community that, that's full of compassion. First is that there's this focus upward. Right? Meaning, this is what we see in Nehemiah, the very final line. He's, he's focused upward. He's looking at the Lord. He says, God, remember me for my good. Lord, Lord, I'm trusting my works to you. What Nehemiah recognized, something that we oftentimes fail to remember, something that I personally fail to remember, is that my impact is determined and known by God alone. The impact that I have on this world, the impact that you have on this world, the people around you, the, the organizations around you, the, the, the degree you're getting, the job you're going to work in, the impact that you have is determined and known by God alone. Sometimes we get inkling. Sometimes we have ideas of, of things that happen. Sometimes the Lord is gracious and shows us a little bit of the fruit. But many times he doesn't. And we need to be okay with that. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, that they need to trust their work to God because God's work is never in vain. He's trying to reassure them. He says, look, you're not going to know the impact that your lives have, that your words and your actions have. But you need to trust that it's not in vain. I mean, I'll tell you that this is something that I struggle with from time to time. Not always, but I, I have seasons. Most people in, in, in kind of vocational ministry, we have these seasons of really questioning, I mean, what, what are we doing? Where's my work going? I'll tell you, it was really easy when I was in junior high ministry because that's the waste land of ministry. It's hard. It's hard. Any of you that have been in youth ministry, I mean, you know, you're just planting seed after seed after seed after seed after seed. And then you get punched in the groin and you're like, dang, what's going, what am I doing with my life? I have had multiple moments. When I was on staff, professional Christian, on staff, working with the youth kids, 
where I would just have these moments of just breaking down and being like, Lord God, what is going on? What am I doing? What am I doing here? And I still feel that from time to time, even in college ministry, of wondering, man, what, what is this work really for? What are we accomplishing? What are we doing? How is the Lord actually using this? How misguided are we and not even realizing it? But what I have to come back to, what we need to come back to is 1 Corinthians 15. We need to come back to Nehemiah 13. We need to recognize that our impact is determined and known by God alone. I can trust him with that. It's not always going to feel awesome. But I can trust that God is using my work. You can trust that God is using your work. That's why we don't need to be afraid about focusing outward. Right? We have this focus upward of looking to the Lord, but we also have this focus outward. We see that Nehemiah himself, he says, man, I did all these things for all these people. In other words, I saw these needs around me and I poured myself out to fill their needs, to, to meet them where they were, to help them, to, to serve them, to sacrifice for them. He says, I did all these things. I put all this stuff into place and I, and I put in all this planning. I put in all this work. I put in all these prayers. He, he's summarizing years and years, decades, a lifetime of ministry. That's who he was. Someone who poured himself out for the sake of the people around him. That's who the Apostle Paul was, who wrote the book of Romans. I'm just going to remind you of that one more time. The Apostle Paul, he did this. He poured his life out for the people around him. That's why the very last book that we have written by him, 2 Timothy, one of the very last things he says in this book, in this kind of closing moment where he knows this is the end of his life. He knows this is his final chapter. He knows that this is kind of the summary, the, the summation of, of everything he's done, of everything he's been, of all the people he's seen, of all the relationships he's started, of all the words he's spoken, of all the letters he's written. He knows that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's all coming to a close. He sees his death on the horizon. And he tells Timothy in that letter, he says, I've competed well, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. He says, I poured myself out for the sake of the people around me. So that's what my life is defined by. And that's the people that we need to be. That's the community that we need to find. One that trusts the Lord to use their work and therefore they work. If we trust that God is using us, then oh my goodness, how more dedicated should we be to put ourselves out there, to pour ourselves out, to, to work on the Lord's behalf. If we know that it's not in vain, if we know it's, it's the most fruitful, it's the most important work we could do, how could we not pour ourselves out? Many times we, we fall into a trap and I'll tell you, it's, it's a good thing to find a mentor. That's good. It's good to find someone older and wiser who can pour into you, who can explain Scripture with you, who can walk with you. It's good to find a place where you feel poured into, where you feel enriched and nourished. I hope that this is one of those places for you. I hope that you can show up and that you can learn, that you can understand Scripture. I hope that you can, you can experience it. But that's not all we're called to. In fact, when we look in Scripture, we never even see that as a commandment. You never look in Scripture and see Paul or, or another writer or anything in, in any of the laws, any of the commandments that says, hey, you need to go, you need to find a mentor. You need to go be poured into. You need to just take a season to just, you focus on you. That's never in Scripture. It's not. You know what we see in Scripture time and time again? You know, you know the commands that we see, the charges that we see? You know the examples that we witness in our Scripture? is of people pouring out and out and out and out and out and out and out. And they trust God every single day to give them the strength they need for that day. We see examples like Paul talking to other people like Timothy, 
telling him, look, Timothy, you're young. And he doesn't follow that up with, hey, so you need to go find some older guys, learn from them, just, you know, join, you know, maybe one of those Bible studies and let them kind of pour into you. He says, you know what, Timothy, you need to find other guys to pour into. You're young? Great. Trust that the Lord is going to use you. Trust the Lord has positioned you where you're at and go and work for him and go pour out. You know what? Timothy still was poured into, right? He had people like Paul that helped him, that, that discipled him, that trained him. God put people in place, but, but that was never supposed to be Timothy's concern. That was never supposed to be his priority. All through Scripture, we see people pouring out and out and out and out. Because the reality is, if we go into these places this summer or after graduation, and you're just looking for a place where you can learn and where you can grow, where you can really commune with the Lord, where you can connect, so you don't really want to worry about maybe, you know, serving in this way or, or leading a study or, or doing these different things, if that's your concern, I'll tell you, what you're going to become is stagnant water. You're getting poured into and into and into and into. And if you have no outlet, you know the place that we have in this world where that happens, where it's just poured into and into and into? It's the Dead Sea. Because <laughs> it's literally dead. Because it's got all this run in and no runoff. It's being poured into all the time, and yet it has no way to pour out. So it's dead. And that's what happens. I've seen it. And even though you walk into it with good intentions, of man, I, I want to learn, I want to grow, those are good desires. If that's your top priority, if that's, if that's the end-all, be-all, of your spiritual walk, I'm telling you, it will quickly turn to death. It will quickly stagnate. And you're going to find yourself not really wanting to learn and grow as much as time goes on. I've seen it. I've seen it. So whatever community you find, no matter, whatever community you maybe have to start yourself, let it be one that is focused not just on the Lord, but it's focused on other people that has this compassion, this desire to pour out. If you can't find it, form it, Please. To that end, we're going to talk about that next week. More practically, we're going to address, I mean, how, what are some practical ways we can go about this? What are, what are some kind of tools? How can we equip you to, to go forward and carry this out? And, and I would ask you, I mean, we, we would love to celebrate with you what the Lord has done already. And I, I would love to celebrate with you to know, I mean, how has the Lord been, been working in your life as of late? We don't have time as a staff to talk to every single person in our ministry which is awesome, but, but also still kind of, it's a bummer because we don't get to hear what the Lord's doing. So I asked you last week, I'm going to ask you again this week, please, if you have just a few minutes, send me an email. Let me know. Just give me, give me an example. Just, just tell me, just, just share with me. Man, this is something that the Lord's done. Specifically, maybe it's with this idea of building community. Maybe you've seen the Lord use your gifts and talents and abilities to, to draw someone in to a relationship that maybe you, you never had before that coworker or that lab partner, whoever it was, maybe you did try to kind of, you know, take some steps out and invite them to coffee or you had a game night. Just let us know how that goes. I'm not just going to like hoard these stories for myself. I'm going to share it with our staff. Maybe it's with that specifically. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's an unexpected way. Those are my favorite stories that I get where people come and talk to me and it's like a sermon on like forgiveness and they come up like, man, you know what I realized? The Lord really convicted me that I don't use money well. I'm like, What? Okay, you know, it's, it's, but it's awesome. I'm like, well, cool, I guess. Because it's a reminder that, you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to work in ways that I don't know. I'm not in control of that. So let us know. Let me know. I'll, I'll pass it along. How has the Lord been at work in your life? And Because we need to take these moments. We need to take these moments to celebrate and to remember what, what Christ has done. That's why this morning we're, we're closing out with communion. That's why we're closing out by, by taking a moment to just remember what Christ has done. If you're a believer, 
And we've seen in Scripture, Christ set forth an example of, hey, from time to time, when you gather together, remember me. Drink some of this wine, eat some of this bread. Go through these motions, not because it's somehow magical, not because it somehow uh, accomplishes something mystical. He says, you're just going to do these things because it's a reminder. It's, re- it's in remembrance of me, of what I've done, of what I've accomplished on your behalf. Jesus Christ, who poured himself out to his, the fullest he possibly could. Jesus Christ, who emptied himself for our sake. Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf, died the death that we deserved so that we might share with him eternal life. The Apostle Paul summarizes this idea in 1 Corinthians 11, speaking to the church. He says, look, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we close out, we'll have the elements at at a few stations around the room. You can feel free to to walk up at some point during our closing song or, or not, whatever. But take this time, whether you're singing with us, whether you're sitting and praying, whether you're taking communion, just let this be a moment where you pause and remember what Christ has done on our behalf. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us an example, not just of Nehemiah. God, you haven't just put forth examples of, of people with, with faults and failures that we can look to, where we, where we have to kind of judge what, what was a strength and what was a weakness and, and sift through their lives, but that, Lord, you've given us the perfect example of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who had no fault. Lord, who struck that perfect balance of grace and truth. God, who struck that perfect balance of of explaining Scripture to his people, but making sure that they experienced it as well. Lord, the the person who set that perfect example of of a structure, of of reliability, of consistency, of faithfulness in his ministry. Lord, we ask that we would seek to be like him, ultimately. Lord, be at work in our hearts and in our minds. Shape us into Christians, Lord, into little Christs who go out into this world, who function as his body, as his hands and feet, Lord, as he is standing at your right hand. If you would take a moment right now, ask the Lord to just set your way before you into this summer. Ask the Lord to begin to work in your heart and your mind to to maybe show you, uh, to draw to mind maybe a place where you can get connected, maybe like a recommended church or, or a community or small group that you've already heard about. Or maybe ask the Lord to start to give you the motivation. Maybe it's very outside of your nature, but, but ask the Lord to provide the strength and, and motivation to, to begin a new community, to rally people together, that they would love God and love each other. And then doing so, they would love the society around themselves. Ask the Lord to, to start that process in your heart right now.